Father, we come before you excited to see what the Word has to say to us today. We're excited uh, to learn from your Word and have our eyes opened to your Word and to be changed by your Word because we need your Word, O oh Lord, to set the standard for us, to give us direction in life. We need your word to help us in all the areas that we struggle, to help us in light of a culture that is so different than what you've revealed, a culture that sends a message and preaches a message to us that is so at odds with what you have given us. So we're thankful for your word. We're, we're thankful, Lord, that we get to gather together freely to open the Word and to consider the Word. Father, I ask, Lord, that you might help us all today. Oh, that the Holy Spirit might enlighten our eyes and our ears to draw attention to what you're revealing in the Scripture. Help me, oh God, to communicate in a way that is true to the Scriptures, Lord, so that I could be helpful this morning to everybody who's here. Not me, as if somehow I've got a message to bring. No, it's your message in your Word that's what we want to see. That's what we want to hear. Help us to pay attention to these things today. Give us the grace because we, we know that we need that from you because without that, we're all going to be so distracted. We're going to be wandering and nothing's going to really get through in light of everything that may be going on in our lives. So I pray, Father, that you would help us today and that you would be with us today so that you would be glorified right now in the preaching of your word. And we say this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, now uh, that we've considered the role of elders the last few weeks, elder pastors, and their role to lead and to protect gospel-centered churches, we're now going to continue on and move on to this discussion of elders teaching healthy and sound doctrine for practical living here in Titus 2. Pick off where we left off. And we are going to be focusing specifically and primarily this morning on godly living and ministry that is so essential for the ladies of our church. Now, don't tune out, men, for there is a lot for us to learn and to be encouraged by here in Titus 2 as well. Because we're called to a kind of discipling ministry here as well, but just in a kind of different way because, of course, we're not ladies. Don't tune out, okay? There's much here for us as well. But sadly, I've realized as I've been considering our text the past few months, this particular text, that a positive emphasis of women in ministry has been neglected in complementarian churches like ours. Complementarianism, for those of you who might not be familiar, is, is simply the position that men and women are created equal in all respects as it relates to the image of God and our salvation. But that there is a difference, this is what the scriptures reveal, there's a difference that God intends, intends 
and has created between men and women in their roles in the home and in marriage, as well as even roles in the church. Now, I wholeheartedly believe that complementarianism is biblical and that it is healthy and that it is true and that God has made men and women differently and it's to gloriously complement one another. The scriptures reveal that. However, many churches, and I say even myself included, have focused so much on what women cannot do in the church, like they cannot be elder pastors or they cannot preach to the gathered congregation, for instance. But as a result, maybe, maybe as a result to the preoccupation to that, potentially, they failed somehow in all of that to put forward a positive and encouraging picture of what women must be doing in our churches. And this is a monumental failure in my estimation. And I don't bring this up to point fingers at all. I have actually faced this reality in my own life and seen my own blinders in this area. And preparing for this sermon has been very transformative in my own life. It's encouraged me towards a more robust view of women's ministry than I had previously considered. That's what happens when you study the scriptures. Oftentimes, many times, regularly, even the preacher is, is, is convicted and, and, and sees a vision and, and is challenged in a certain area. And praise God for that, right? Let me give you an example. In 2013, shortly after graduating seminary, I preached a sermon from 1 Corinthians 14 on spiritual gifts and the purpose of spiritual gifts to edify believers in the church with the Word of God. And I still wholeheartedly believe in that truth. This was a sermon at a different church, of course. Wasn't here yet. But that sermon, I recently, I recently listened back to this particular sermon. And you want to know what I noticed about this sermon is that in one section I give multiple examples of Christians using their Bible-centered, word-centered gifts to edify our church today, and specifically about that church that I was at when I was preaching. But regrettably, I failed to give one example of women using their edifying, Bible-centered gifts of teaching, exhorting, encouraging, discipling, or counseling the Word. I didn't give one example of a woman in that, in that situation. And there are numerous examples in various ways and settings that women can and should be using their gifts. There are many ways I could have chosen from, but I didn't give one. Instead, I focused primarily on elder pastors and other men who were using their word-centered gifts to edify the church that Sunday. And you know what? I should have known better when I preached that sermon years ago. And I should have encouraged the ladies in that church also to use their edifying gifts to encourage with the word as well. But I didn't. And, and that illustrates the blinders that I have in this area. And, and it's my goal this morning not to make the same mistake twice. And this sermon couldn't have come at a better time for me. 
I wasn't even going to preach Titus this summer until my buddy Peter Phillips suggested it. <laughs> Good suggestion to him, right? But, but, but we all know that God orchestrates all things and his wisdom and timing. It's just perfect always, isn't it? And even on that note, providentially, the ladies of our church just happened to be going through a book on Titus 2 right now titled Spiritual Mothering by Susan Hunt, as you know. And, and I figured I better pick that book up because it just happens to be the same section of Scripture that I'm going to be preaching even this morning right now. And I've been so edified and so encouraged to read this and other books on this, pro, uh, on this passage the last few months in preparation for this sermon. And even as many of you know, I had the privilege and unique opportunity to discuss this exact text of Titus 2 with our ladies in preparation for this sermon a few weeks ago. What an encouraging, awesome opportunity that is. I needed to get caught up because the ladies have been discussing and considering this text for a few months, and I was kind of behind, and so it was good for us to discuss together, and it was so encouraging. I want to thank our ladies. I want to thank you, ladies, those of you especially that were there for that helpful discussion as we considered that together. Thank you. That was helpful in the preparation of this sermon. I've also reached out to other good friends from seminary and, and family members and, of course, discussions with my wife that have all been very helpful in preparing this sermon as well. But I noticed a recurring theme from many of the discussions I had with these ladies. Just as I suspected that many of the evangelical complementarian churches have failed to present, it seems, a robust view of women's ministry and discipleship in the church, many of the ladies I also spoke to also had this testimony of their church experience over the years as well, and where they were not encouraged with the robust view of ministry and discipleship. This is a sad and regrettable reality. For we see here in this section of Titus 2 that we started even last week, something very different than what many churches today have put forward for us. We see the Apostle Paul encouraging Titus to teach what accords with sound or healthy doctrine to all people, not just men. And interestingly enough, after he instructs Titus to teach the sound doctrine, he goes on to list godly lifestyles and godly living and doesn't even bring up in Titus 2, in this early portion, a doctrine that you might think that he might be bringing up as it relates to this. You'd expect him to move on maybe to the doctrine of God or the doctrine of salvation or maybe the doctrine of the church, right? But he doesn't. He gives practical daily living examples of how Titus is to teach the older men then the older women and then to teach the younger women and then the older men and then even a word to elders. All practical living examples. Now, this does not at all negate the importance of sound theological doctrine and worldview, right? Because even last week we saw that sound doctrine and beliefs about God, salvation, and the world and, uh, actually relates to how we actually live our lives. So those beliefs, of course, are foundational. We saw that last week. 
However, we see here an emphasis on actual living, how we are to live our lives. So what does God have to say about women's discipleship? What does God want us to think about this particular ministry? Is it secondary to God? Is it an afterthought to Him? Is it something that can just be neglected? And what is exactly is this teaching that accords with sound doctrine as it relates to the ladies of the churches on the island of Crete? And then, by implication, as it relates to the ladies here at MVC. This leads us to our text this morning in Titus chapter 2 and verses 3 through 5. So turn there with me in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. And we'll see here together in this text, even as we read it right now, what God has revealed as it relates to gospel-centered women's discipleship. And interestingly enough, the way that we're going to walk through this text is very, very similar, almost the exact outline of our first sermon as it relates to elders. You look back, it's basically the same outline. And it's because we're going to look at the qualifications uh, and the character and the job description that's involved as it relates to women. So, you know what? This week's preparation in terms of outline was a lot easier because I could just kind of just use the same outline, which is helpful. And we're going to consider together who leads gospel-centered women's discipleship. And then we're going to move on this morning to consider what these leaders should be like in terms of their character. Okay? And then, of course, we're going to look at their job descriptions. What? What should these leaders be doing? What must they be doing? So let's look at our text together. This is God's holy and authoritative word. Titus 2. And we'll read verse 1 first and then move to verses 3 through 5. Titus 2 and 1 says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And then look with me at verses 3 through 5. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So number one, who leads gospel-centered women's discipleship? And, and right here up front, really quick, we are going to say a word, I'm going to say a word about discipleship in general, because we've got to define it up front so that we know what genre or realm of ministry that we're talking about here. The discipleship task, of course, is the whole process of fulfilling the great commission of Matthew chapter 28 to make disciples who obey Jesus. We're familiar with that one. Mark Dever, in his helpful little book, aptly titled Discipling, he makes a helpful distinction between kind of discipleship in general and then to distinguish it between the act or action or the, the verb form of discipling, which is the doing of discipleship. Does that make sense? If it doesn't here, I'm going to give you some more from his book that might be helpful. Dever simply defines this verb form of discipling as just helping others to follow Jesus. 
pretty simple, right? Pretty basic. He goes on to expand and illustrate quite a bit throughout that book and says the same thing in various ways, giving examples, and it's super helpful. I highly recommend it to all of you. He goes on to say that discipling is deliberately doing spiritual good to someone so that he or she will be more like Christ. So in summary, he says here, discipleship is the term I use, this is Dever, to describe our own following of Christ, our own personal discipleship. Then he goes on and says, discipling is the subset which is helping someone else to follow Christ. So now that we've defined discipleship, discipling here, let us answer our question here. Who leads this ministry to ladies? Well, right up front, I'm just not going to contradict what I've said before in the fact that elders lead the church. Not going to contradict that. So my answer here is going to be twofold. Okay, so bear with me. First, elders, of course, are responsible to lead the church, which would include the women's discipleship ministry in in a certain sense. For we see here even the Apostle Paul telling Titus to teach the older women about biblical womanhood here in these verses. So he starts with Titus, and he says to Titus, and even by implication elders, right, that they would teach a vision of women's discipleship to their church. However... Notice that Titus here, nor are the elders here, are they themselves called to be actually doing the direct personal discipleship ministry in this text, right? doesn't say that. Isn't that Titus? You go teach and disciple the younger woman. He doesn't say that, right? He says, pastors, elders, Titus, you guys teach the older women so that they might go do these things and disciple the younger women. I'd add at this point that it is a terrible and a foolish practice of many men and pastors in our day who take it upon themselves to do this kind of personal discipleship ministry with women. This is just a bad idea and unwise in so many ways. Prolonged personal ministry in individual settings should be conducted by Christians of the same gender for obvious reasons. The pastor going to coffee and dinner and texting or calling women to disciple and counsel them is just a dangerous thing. And he's certainly in danger of becoming no longer above reproach. And you just won't see me doing anything like that, nor will you see our other elders doing anything like that, because we all agree this is a terrible idea. Now, We as men should be doing this personal discipleship ministry, of course, but not with women, certainly, right? Okay, if if you're married, certainly there's going to be discipleship going on in your marriage relationship. That is okay, don't get me wrong. But personal relationships with other women or women in relationships trying to disciple other men in one-on-one, individual, long-term relationships is just unwise. If someone decides to go that way, I'd suggest the probability of scandal and ministry failure. I think it's just soon to follow, in my estimation. Thankfully, that doesn't always happen, and I'm thankful for that, but I think that oftentimes it does happen, because that's just not what God intended. Look at our text. It's not what He intended. So who does the leading of this actual personal disciple 
discipleship, discipling ministry. Now that we got that out of the way, well, look with me again at verse 3a, just the, the beginning part of it. Look with me at Titus 2, verse 3. Older women, likewise. Okay, that's it. Older women, that's our answer. Ding, 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 ding. We got our answer. Older women are to lead gospel-centered women's discipleship. You see it right there in your text, right? Not the pastors. They encourage, equip, train, certainly, but they don't do the ministry. It's these godly older women who are to take up this task, this very important task. The task that, let me tell you, no other man, no other pastor, I don't care how mature he is, no other man, no other pastor is going to be doing this ministry. 50% or more in most cases, in most churches, there's more women in local churches than men, oftentimes. 50% of that ministry cannot be done by the elders, the pastors, or other men in the church. It must be done by these godly older women. And you know what? In the discussion I had with our ladies' Bible study a few weeks back, how many ladies in that class do you suppose had testimonies or examples of other godly women discipling them in all their years at local churches? How many? The sad answer is a big zero. Let that sink in for a minute. This should not be the case. I don't want that for our church here at MVC. I don't want that for my three daughters who are here with us to hear this sermon at MVC or my wife or the other ladies of our church. I don't want that for us. Now, older women here, of course, it's emphasizing age, but we all know some older women in age who are very immature Christians. Godliness, actually, or maturity, actually, is the distinguishing marker here, and it's key for us to see. And then this actually leads us to our second point. And number two, what should these leaders be like? Well, let's look at verse three again together. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. We'll stop there for now. The ones doing this kind of ministry are the ones who are godly women, reverent in behavior. Not flaunting themselves around, but modest, holy, and seeking in all things in their lives to grow and to glorify God. You can have a woman in her 30s or even 20s, right, who may be even more godly than women in her 60s, or 70s, and maybe there's some discipleship going on in the other direction, even of age. And I'd add here, just to clarify, that this discipling actually is a two-way street. It's a two-way street. I've been discipled by younger men or other peers, same age as me, in conversations by their examples and their faithfulness. I've been, ex I've been discipled and encouraged to follow Jesus, even this past week. So it's not like you have to ask for their driver's license every time that you want to get into a discipleship or mentorship relationship. How old actually are you? Let me see. Are you old enough to be doing this? So we need to see that it goes both ways. And also, I want to add that this whole section of spiritual mothering or discipling as it relates uh, here has to do with the context of marriage. But I want to say to ladies who are unmarried, 
or ladies who don't have children, that you can also disciple in godly ways as well, since you too have the scriptures. And you can encourage and teach and model biblical womanhood in all ways, even if you're not married and you don't have children, whether you're young or old, just as a clarifier here. Because the scriptures are our guide in these things, in contrast to the mess and the confusion of our world. <laughs> because certainly, reverence is not a desired attribute put forward by Hollywood, is it? You won't hear our culture esteeming motherhood, godly submission to husbands, or modesty, will you? No. But God sets the standard. It's God who sets the standard. And if you are going to disciple someone else, you yourself even, you yourself have to be growing in godliness and opposing the cultural world view. If you are more swept up by the culture than you are by what the scriptures reveal, then let me tell you, you are not going to be a good discipler. The women who lead this kind of ministry are women who are committed to the scriptures and who are growing themselves in godliness and reverence. Not gossips or drunks, as the second half of verse 3 described. It says it right there, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to be the kind of women who change the subject when someone starts gossiping about others. They are the women who seek to build up with their words instead of tearing down. Women who are modest and self-controlled and all areas, not parading their beauty around, since you can't be reverent and godly and also live like the unbelievers in our world. It just doesn't work that way. This, this text doesn't allow it. No, you can't be a spiritual mother or a discipler if you are a slander and given to various kinds of even other Passions, whether alcohol or drugs or vanity or irreverent attention-seeking or sexual immorality or whatever your temptation might be. No, you, these, these women, they fight against this kind of thing. And they're growing in repentance and grace in the Christian life. Not perfect, just like the elders we said aren't perfect either, but your example of sound and healthy thinking and striving and living is so important. And you could even, let me just say this, be a great help and an encouragement to other women, even, and I would even say, especially through your imperfection, an example of repentance in the Christian life, because all Christians have to repent in those ways. So we're not talking perfect ladies here. It's not what we're talking about. A woman who's going to be doing this ministry, let me just say, they also have to be convinced, convinced themselves of biblical world and life view of marriage, family, and the church. They have to be theologically aligned with what the scriptures teach about these things. This, to me, is also a character issue, even though it sounds a lot like doctrine of beliefs, right? Doesn't it? Well, as I mentioned last week in our sermon, the biblical view about all these things is much more intertwined than we sometimes think. It just doesn't get separated. We don't, we don't separate these things. These, these leaders, 
who do this discipling ministry must not only be convinced, but they must model even this biblical worldview in their lives, in the family, and in church, because it's intertwined. They can't just say they believe it, but then act and live in a different way. Uh, They go hand in hand. They must be, these women must not be trying to take over the church and lead the church as pastor or elders because they see clearly in the Bible and in Scripture that God has ordained qualified men to to lead the church in this way. And these women, these godly, faithful women, they see that that is true. They love that that is true because they love what God reveals. They don't try to go against it, but no, they encourage their pastors in those things. They've got a biblical worldview. These women are also not caught up in the whims of the culture, thinking that being a wife or a mother is somehow second class or it's just a repressive situation to be avoided like the plague, like our culture puts forward. No, no, no. They know their Bibles too well for that. And they have seen the glorious vision of biblical womanhood found in the pages of the Bible and even right here in Titus chapter 2. They see it with their eyes and they believe it. They're convinced of it. And they don't just pay lip service to it. They devote their lives to these things. If they are married, they are godly and submissive wives to their own husbands. And if they have children, they are godly mothers devoted to their home, whether or not they work outside of the home as well. They may have careers as well, but their focus and priority is biblical, and they love their husbands and children or work hard in their primary responsibility in the home, even as they have also responsibilities maybe outside of it. Oh, I thank God for spiritual mothers and godly women in our church and in churches I've been at in the past and in my life. This is a blessing because it is so, so counter-cultural. If you look at our culture, you would think that there would be no women that would meet these standards, who would fit into this role. There'd be none if you look at our culture. But I'm so thankful that there are. And I know many of you here, even at our church. So now that we've seen together who leads gospel-centered women's discipleship ministry, and then also we've looked at what these women, what these leaders of this ministry should be like. Now, we look to our third and final point, and number three. What must these leaders do? Let's look again at Titus chapter 2, and verse 3 through 5, to see what these godly leaders are to be doing. Read it again. Let's go. Verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Notice here at the end of verse 3, it says that these women are to teach What is good? Now, within the context of this particular passage, this is clearly talking about teaching and modeling this practice and lifestyle 
towards these women and how they might live their lives, particularly here as wives and mothers in the home. That's, that's the context here. However, I want to say this. In order to even do that, you have to have godly, mature, theologically astute, biblically saturated women. Women who know their Bibles and know their doctrine really, really well. And who can even teach the Bible and teach doctrine. For you can't apply these things in a kind of scriptureless, doctrineless vacuum. You just can't. It's impossible. No, that will not do. These ladies must be champions and theological giants in the church to put forward, as Lagan Duncan has put it, a biblical apologetic of biblical womanhood. In light of our culture and how messed up it is, we need to have strong, theologically sound, mature women who know God and know His Word and know what the Scriptures teach about everything in order to do this. Because if it's just like less than that, guess what? They're not going to be able to lead and mentor and disciple in this way. And let me just say this. Some of these ladies will be even more theologically trained, biblically aware, and more even apt to teach than even some men in the church. Maybe all the men in the church. And why not? God gives gifts of teaching and discipling and counseling the scriptures to both men and women. And gifts are not a one-size-fits-all. We are all given various measures of faith and gifting, right? Both men and women. And I've known some women who are more theologically informed and biblically knowledgeable than even their pastors. I've known them. I've seen them. I've read their books. I've heard them teach. I've had conversations with them. But here's the great thing about godly women like this. They don't flaunt it before others in a prideful kind of way, but humbly and esteem and encourage their pastors even if they might be more gifted than them. They don't even care. That's not even, that's not what it's about. They're not trying to usurp uh, the, the authority and the leadership of the church. They're going to encourage it. That's a powerful, powerful, wonderful, godly thing, an example. Do you see this, ladies? Do you see what this means for you, ladies? Don't just think because you can't serve as an elder or pastor that you are not needed to study and grow and mature in the Christian life in all areas, both in knowledge and in practice, making applications in your own lives of the Word of God and doctrine so that you might actually live consistently what you say that you believe. And then you might even know what you believe Some of you don't even look to the scriptures to know what you believe. Men and women alike, this is an encouragement to all of us to see what we believe and why, and then to actually live it out. That's that's the purpose here of of Titus chapter 2. This means, ladies, like the example of one woman I had recently heard a testimony about, this woman taught and even trained in doctrine in the scriptures since... Much of her experience were like maybe some of yours, where it was not very encouraged in churches where she might have grown up. She was self-trained and self-taught, this lady. She read systematic theology, and her favorite was the classic Reformed work of Louis Burkhoff. I'm familiar with that. Maybe 
Some of you are as well. It's an excellent systematic theology. And she's even gone on and written books about even the doctrine of God and other things. Many books she's written. And she works at one of the larger Southern Baptist churches in Texas and is a great encouragement to men and women, women alike. Yes, I said even to men alike. Women use their gifts to edify even men. Not preaching sermons to the gathered congregation or not leading as elder pastors, but in encouraging with the gospel and even in appropriate settings like Aquila and Priscilla, husband and wife, in Acts 18, for instance, that we read in our scripture reading this morning. As this married couple both are said to have discipled and taught and corrected the young Apollos. Don't know how old he was, but he was younger in ministry. Who we also know, this guy, Apollos, was actually a very influential teacher and preacher in the early church. This woman, Priscilla, gave some doctrinal correction to this young man, along with her husband. She used her gifts and mature knowledge of the gospel to counsel and even help someone as influential of a teacher as Apollos. And Timothy's grandmother and mother also we see in the other in, in, in first and second Timothy uh, that they use their gifts and nourishing to disciple and to teach and to encourage young Timothy as he grew up and was discipled in the home. This great pastor was discipled, taught the scriptures, taught. Theology taught the implications of the Bible by his mother and his grandmother, apparently because his father was likely an unbeliever. Do you see the glory in all of this? This is why it is so sad to me, so very sad to me, that many of you have not been encouraged by your pastors in these things over the years. This is such a sad thing. I want to encourage you ladies. Your pastors want to encourage you ladies to grow in these things and to grow in various ways so that you could use your gifts of teaching, discipling, mentoring, counseling to help others here in this church that I know many of you are. Now, the lady mentioned above or before that I just mentioned a second ago, her name is Jen Wilkin. Now, you might be thinking... Oh, it, you might be familiar with her, so you might already know the story. But if you don't, you might be thinking after what I've shared about her. Uh, certainly, she was in seminary at a young age, and she was trained, and she went to Bible college or seminary, and that's how she got into all this. Actually, no. She was a mother of four children under the age of five, working at home, and her husband gave her, as a gift, Louis Burkhoff Systematic Theology, and she talks about all the reasons why she said she didn't have time for it and, and didn't want to get into it. But then one day she got into it. And now she works at the Village Church, which is a church in Texas. For those of you who are familiar with Matt Chandler, that's the church where she, that's a, that's a church that he pastors where she works at. And, and, and many of you might already be familiar with her. But I just wanted to let you know that the past few weeks I've been listening to several interviews with her, uh, with her, and I've just been so encouraged by her ministry. And I even recently read an article that was so helpful to me as it relates to this, as I've been preparing for this sermon. She wrote this article a few years back, titled, More Pressing Than Women Preachers. 
which, in light of the recent debates in the Southern Baptist Convention, even uh, within the past few weeks, uh, it was even really illuminating on this topic, even though she, she wrote it a while ago. Uh, if you're not aware about the debates within the SBC, even a few weeks ago, many people are up in arms about differing applications of complementarianism and what women can and cannot do in local churches. And let me just say, admittedly, these positions are a very diverse thing amongst complementarian churches. Some churches work it out differently. And, and let me just say, I believe that that's okay, because churches may differ a bit on how, on, on how this all works out. And in a, in a way, I kind of want to, I don't want to just waste all our time and energy debating this particular topic so much, not that it's bad to debate and discuss this, but I don't want to focus all of our energy on that while at the same time neg neglecting something more pressing, as Jen Wilkin anticipates in this article. I've spent a lot of time over the years thinking about the nature and responsibilities of pastor elders, because I aspired to be one, of course, and now I am a pastor. But I, let me tell you, I am long past the conclusions that are so clear in the Scriptures that qualified men are to serve their local churches as pastors, okay? And quite frankly, I'm just not interested in debating that as much right now because I agree with Jen in this, that there's something more pressing on this topic that's been so neglected, she says in her 2015 article, this is Jen speaking, as some continue to debate the presence of women in the pulpit, she says, we must not miss this immediate problem, the marked absence of women in areas of church leadership that are open to them. She continues later saying that they, and she's talking about godly mature women here, they, these women, are looking for leadership trajectories for women in the local church and finding virtually nothing. They watch their brothers receive advocacy and wonder who will invite them and equip them to lead well. She goes on later to say, the concern over women in the pulpit draws our attention because we regard the role of pastor so highly, and as we should. I mean, she's a complementarian as well. And she makes reference to 1 Timothy 3. But she goes on and says, we must be careful that our high regard doesn't morph into idolatry. The blogosphere overflows with articles addressed to specifically to pastors, how to study more effectively, how to counsel, how to mentor, how to balance work and rest, how to lead. More often than not, she says, I wonder, why the author limited his audience just to pastors? Why not speak of the priesthood of all believers? Much of this counsel applies, she says, equally to the role of teacher, counselor, ministry, uh, minister, lay leader, uh, or lay uh, leaders in the church that can be filled by both men and women. And let me tell you, if I hadn't already been at that point when I read this article convicted of my lack of application in that spiritual gift sermon to ladies, if I hadn't already been convicted of that enough, I would have been exposed and cut deep by the words of Jen Wilkin in this article, kind of like Nathan confronting King David in his sin in a way that he cleverly responds, you are the man in his illustration. He says, he gives an illustration, King David says, that man should be put to death. And Nathan says, oh, actually, he flips it on him. He says, you are the man. And 
David's like, I did not see that coming. This article was kind of like that to me. I did not see that coming. I did not see that coming, but it's exactly right. Priesthood of believers, it relies, it relates to both. Why didn't I emphasize that in the sermon? Oh, I realize it now. I realize it now. And I'm thankful that I had been working towards these truths and, and these insights more, or else that rebuke would have cut me so deep. But some others here this morning might not be there yet. So let her insightful and illuminating words convict you as well in the way that you might not be right now esteeming the gifts of women and their vital importance, necessary importance in the life of the church. And ladies, let this sermon and let this passage of scripture and let this example of a woman using her gifts to edify the church to motivate you as well and even convict you as well if you are right now neglecting to grow in these various ways and you're neglecting to disciple others it's not too late to be a godly woman using your gifts in the church to disciple and care for others and to teach and use your gifts in various ways it's not too late it's never too late and as I think through here the examples of godly women in my life that have edified me in tangible ways have not the least my wife Stacy in marriage and the ways that she's used her gifts to just oh so encourage me in so many ways encourage me in the word as I think of these women in my life I am so hopeful and excited that many of you uh, would just pick up this mantle and run with it as fast as you can for the glory of God and the good of our church the good of even this church MVC and the good of your brothers and your sisters and your husbands and your children. I think of Melissa Armstrong or Missy, who just passed away three days ago from cancer. She is in the presence with the Lord now. Praise God for that. She's a faithful, godly woman awaiting the resurrected body in the future. She's met Jesus. That is so encouraging. And I think about how her and her husband, Doug, who were actually with us a few years ago at our ordination. In fact, Doug actually even signed my ordination um, paper there because he's an elder at his church as well. And I think about how Doug and Melissa counseled my wife, Stacy, and I as we prepared for marriage years ago. <laughs> and we were just little pups at the time in our young 20s. No kids, no years or experience in marriage. Just an immature, especially me, I want to emphasize, especially me, young SoCal raised, SoCal trained, pre-married couple who had no idea what the future would hold pastoring church here five children we had no idea all these 12 years of marriage coming up here next week on our anniversary <laughs> Melissa was a spiritual mother to Stacy and she was a Priscilla to me as both her and her husband counseled us in the ways of life and marriage and oh, how they must have seen us so young in the faith and so young and immature. I'd actually love to be a fly on the wall 
uh, in a post-counseling session as they had discussion about us. Maybe I wouldn't love that. Maybe that would just be painful. <laughs> I'd love it now, maybe. But back then, if I heard it, I'd, I'd probably just be so discouraged and, and think maybe we shouldn't even get married. We are so messed up. I. Emphasis, I. Stacy. Stacy was excellent, as you know. Godly, wonderful. They just very immature in many ways. Oh, I just think of how well that they put forward an example of godly marriage to us, challenging us towards faithfulness and longevity and repentance of sin till death do us part. As their experience, as Doug and her experienced even this past week, encouraged us towards faithfulness to these upcoming vows that we would be making shortly thereafter, that counseling session. And I think of my mom, who has been one of the best examples of an encourager that I've ever witnessed. Out of everybody, men, women, pastors, seminary professors, people that I've listened to and known, she's been a great example, the best example of an encourager that I know. I think of the way she even sent me a text message yesterday letting me know that she was preparing praying for me as I was preparing for the sermon. And as I told her how I was struggling to put this whole sermon together, it was just a mess. I didn't know what to do. It was one of those weeks. Some preachers know what this is like. I'm so lost here, Mom. I don't know where to go. But I'm headed to the church this morning to try to see if I could figure something out. And she encouraged me in the Word. She reminded me of the goodness and greatness of God and God's faithfulness and His pure and true word and that it will not return void. Oh, how that edified me. And I think of the ladies here at MVC and other churches that I've been involved with since I've been a Christian. Ladies who love the word, who love their husbands, who love their children, and who... If they don't have husbands and children, love the people in their lives and the people in their churches all around them. These women esteem their elders. Even at this church, all three of us esteem, pray for, encourage all of us. They encourage and pray for the work of the ministry. They even do the work of the ministry as they spiritually mother and disciple each other. And as they, uh, they don't preach the gospel maybe, uh, they're not elders of the church, but they're using their gifts of teaching, their gifts of encouraging, their gifts with the word to encourage family members and friends and preach the gospel to unbelievers, share the truth of the gospel, call people to repent in their workplace and in their home as they disciple their little ones. They discuss the gospel, the scriptures in growth groups as they edify everyone they meet in various ways. Some of them are even meeting weekly right now to discuss this book of Titus and this particular chapter and these verses in Titus chapter 2 to see how that they might love and spur one another on to love and good works and how they can better disciple each other and how they can better serve and support the church and the work of the ministry. Ladies, you lead gospel-centered women's discipleship. So think of the ways that you yourself have been discipled right now and the ways that, or even the ways that you wish that you had been discipled or 
wish that you had been spiritually mothered by others. And then examine your own life. And think of how you have been doing this spiritual discipling and spiritual mothering as well in your own lives. Or even if you haven't, think about this. Think of the women in your life right now that you can encourage with the Word of God and encourage in the Christian life to be more like Jesus. Think of the younger women even here right now in the church that you could see even in their lives that they might be swaying along with the culture and swaying away from the biblical worldview. And you maybe think of creative ways that you can reach out to these young ladies and disciple them in a kind of Titus 2, 3 through 5 glorious kind of way. Because I want to be a church that esteems and encourages women to do the work of the ministry. I want MVC to be a place where my daughters and other girls and women are spiritually mothered and discipled by godly ladies of our church. Because if they aren't discipled by you or their parents, let me tell you, they will be discipled by somebody else. And if that someone isn't a Christian, or if that example or mentor comes from uh, the media, or maybe their unbelieving friends, they will be discipled, not in the way of godliness, faithfulness to the Scriptures, to their families, to their husbands, and all that the Scriptures revealed. Not in the great doctrines of the Scriptures, not in a great vision and glorious vision of God. No, they're going to be discipled in the other way, towards unbelief and towards a life of not glorifying God, potentially even discipled right on their way to hell. Being deceived by the world. Oh, ladies of MVC, let that not be the case. Realize what's at stake here. This is not a secondary thing. This ministry that you do, it's not on the back burner. It's necessary. Ladies will not be discipled and spiritually mothered this way if you don't do it. This is primary in the church. For we see here in Titus 2 and verse 5 at the end, it says that the word of God may not be reviled. You see, if our ladies in our church and our young women in our church and our older women in our church do not have a biblically saturated world and life view, the testimony of their failed marriages and their, and their just lack of biblical worldview and their, their, their worldly cultural thinking about all things, the, uh, the things that they're posting, the things that they're saying, the example that they're giving, the way that they're living their lives, if that is not in accord with what the scriptures teach here in Titus 2, 3 through 5, let me tell you what, the word of God even will be reviled by that testimony. It will be a bad testimony to the world. It will be a bad testimony within the church. There's a lot at stake in this ministry. So ladies, do not grow weary. Be reinvigorated in this ministry. Move forward in this ministry. Do the work of the ministry. Grow yourselves so that you might help and disciple and spiritually mother other women in the church to glorify God. 